This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I tell you what I want to open this podcast on. I want to say two words to you: infinite wealth. Yes, a beautiful, <laughs> perfect game. I know we need to get to things. I know this is the Untitled Panther podcast, the UBP, the UBP, the, the UBP. Everybody's sending in their various questions, talking points, etc. However, me and you have not talked that much about like a dragon, infinite wealth. So I thought, why not open the podcast on that? How are you finding it? Pretty good so far. Pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't played that much within the last week, so you've probably caught up with me, or maybe even overtaken me since we last spoke about it. But uh, I love two things about it immediately is one of them actually is the immediacy of it because the last Mm. game and I think it's fairly common as I understand through the Akaza series for games to take hours before they really start getting going. I think this one was a lot quicker than Seven Um, Mm -hmm. and also as as the same with Seven just all the characters are so wonderful and just like when you get a little group together at the beginning and like there's your starting party you're like Mm -hmm. I never want to split these guys up they're all just wonderful I'm having a lovely time wandering around Hawaii there's a bunch of things on the map where it's like you can go have a conversation about something that <laughs> you know they're passionate about something they did growing up or whatever I've just mm-hmm. been banging around like oh yeah I want to have a chat with Chisose about you know whatever this I just love that stuff to it yeah my thing is like the, the characters I think like I like I, I really liked Kazuga in uh, Yakuza 7 yeah. I never finished Yakuza 7 mainly because of what you said I felt like it took way too long to kick in and I just sort of dropped off it and I thought at the like when I was playing through that game I thought that it's attempt at doing the turn based stuff like NPCs would get in the way when I was trying to do charge moves whatever mm-hmm. I just thought it was a bit under cooked even though i, I did, like love the story side of it and everything and then i played the man who sold his man who sold his name whatever that one was yeah where you play his kid his own name yeah the man who <laughs> was sick of it and uh, i played that thing <laughs> had enough and uh, i played that and there's a bit with kazuga in there as well and then kazuga in infinite wealth oh, okay. is like phenomenal and um, i just love this the whole writing of that character is brilliant i love how different he is from kiryu but he still has the whole heart of gold thing mm-hmm. and i just i'm just like you said i'm just loving being kazuga and then just having friends and walking around hawaii and um i just wanted to shout that game out because I, I did a tweet the other day where i was like i don't know about you but like for me 2020 so far has beaten 2023 and we're only like a month and a bit in and i get that i'm saying part of me saying that because it's a over-the-top statement but i I do kind of feel it in my heart at the minute because i've played um prince of persia lost lost crown was phenomenal Mm. and then tekken 8 was phenomenal and then pal world was good fun and then infinite wealth is phenomenal and helldivers 2 was phenomenal and i'm like that run of games to me at least has already beaten the run of 2023 i mean obviously the question is can it maintain and i think Mm. the answer is pretty clear that it's probably going to be a rockier year (laughs) after a certain point but in terms Uh of a strong start to a year 
Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's like it's, like, it's super solid. Like that. Well, that's the thing. Like we've got this Final Fantasy in a few weeks, and then yeah. I, there's not that much else that's penciled in for the rest of the year. I mean, the Xbox thing, as we're recording this, the Xbox thing they did last night, the podcast announcement thing, they said they have more stuff to announce in June. So, um, assumedly, there's more things for that. Um, but we'll get we'll get back around to that in a little bit. We'll do as many people's uh, questions as we can. First one from Elfar Oliver, who says, "What could possibly be a quadruple A game? Is it lifelike graphics? Is it the budget? The developer? Ubisoft said Skull and Bones is lol, but it's not on Switch. Also, is the switch even triple a console if it can't run triple a properly is gta 6 going to be the first quadruple a game love you keep it up <laughs> i think for this i forgot that um skull and bones was out like that thing's out like today yes it's a, a bit of a mess i mean it doesn't help that it's been one of those games that has been kicking around every state of play summer mm. games fest whatever for what feels like a decade at this point <laughs> like it's just there every other year to remind you that it's it's coming guys so i'm not really surprised that there's not that many people talking about it on the lead up mm. to release because I don't know it's been a been a long time coming. When it comes to quadruple A, I mean the answer is very <laughs> obvious. It's is nothing. It's a made no. up marketing term. This is not a new term either. Ubisoft no. have been used, you know, batting this around for a good number of years now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just to make you feel like this game's. I do it with lots of their games where like this is going to be the revolution and it's it's just <laughs> maybe it's a good game but it's not a, like a crazy next level thing so yeah it's just a marketing gimmick unfortunately yeah, it reminds me of because um, the Perfect Dark reboot was like oh, it's going to be the world's first quadruple A yeah, game, it was and it's dark. like yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's like yeah. Ultimately, what the hell does that mean? Like, it's a bit shinier. It takes even longer to develop. Like, we it's not a thing. <laughs> like, it's just some way to make you turn your head. Um, another thing for that Xbox conference, I keep calling it conference. The Xbox podcast last night was um, Sarah Bond mentioning that their next console is going to have the biggest hardware leap of any console ever, or something. And it's like there's nowhere else for you to go. Really, I feel like we've hit the you know when thousands of people are losing their jobs trying to keep up with an industry at a certain production level then you can't really go much higher than that um but i think for the quadruple a thing in skull and bones that was because on the ubisoft side i think it was eve gameo the ceo um said that the game took so long because they were making they were adding the extra a to it and that's what this beautiful extra thing is <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah exactly and it's like when you look at it it doesn't come across like it's this you know demonstrably better thing um i think they just needed a way to sell it i mean um, they're still selling it at full price like if you dive into the game's development there was a whole thing where they had a contract with the Singapore government to finish the game regardless mm. of anything and so I think whatever at some point they need to get something over the finish line but um, for the game itself I've not actually played it I thought it looked pretty barren the way that it was rolling out and then now seeing way more gameplay of it they don't let you um, board ships as a pirate like it's a pirate game but you only do the combat and that's it and if you when you take someone's ship over it just gives you a cutscene and then you can skip it and that's it oh. and I was like surely the open goal for this was taking Assassin's Creed Black Flag and letting you fight other players as you jump across and if someone's good enough maybe they can defend their whole ship or whatever and if you want to have your loot components and all that kind of stuff you know you could get a better sword or whatever and I know that they would monetize that stuff but still at least you would have the idea of like I'm a really good pirate on the open seas and right. I defend my ship and whatever and they don't have any of that <laughs> just I remember have obviously like from what I recall the game was sort of announced or in development obviously alongside Sea of Thieves so they're yeah. coming into a space where there's already a game that just like does everything I guess you could possibly want out of that so mm-hmm. to come in with like yeah as you say feature features that are not there that you just <laughs> automatically would expect out of a pirate sim mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't sound great 
No, and I see if Eve's is one of the four games that's coming to PlayStation and Switch and whatever Apparently, it is anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, not according to Phil Spencer, who refuses to reveal the information <laughs> that's been out there for a week. Phil Spencer. <laughs> um, but yeah, next question from John Larkin, who says, Curious to hear your thoughts on the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth demo, especially after Scott tweeted that he didn't enjoy what they did to the Nibelheim incident. Me and you talked a little bit about this, but mm. yeah, thoughts on the whole thing with uh, Rebirth's demo. <laughs> I mean... I enjoyed it. I really love playing the piano, short horror, yeah. like rhythm games and that kind of thing. So Same. Um, that was nice. Um, and it's just one of those things where I love Final Fantasy VII so much that just playing Remake and now the beginning of Rebirth, I just love doing the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where I'm like, I know that bit, I know this thing, all this is different. All do, and I'm just like yeah. verbally pointing this out to no one as I'm playing it and that kind of thing. <laughs> It suffers with a lot of the same issues that Remake has. Squeeze through here, climb up this. I'm not as... I I understand the claims of padding and stuff in Remake, Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't necessarily affect me so much. Uh, But yeah, I don't know, mixed feelings. It got me... It didn't change my hype level for Rebirth. It didn't suddenly make me more excited. Not to say that mm. I'm not looking forward to it, but it mm. didn't make me go, oh my God, I have to have this. That My thing is, like, it reminded me of the parts that I didn't like about Remake in terms of the squeeze-throughs and, like you said, the padding. Like, that bit when you've got to hoover up the Mako juice with the big <laughs> hoover. I was like, what the F are we doing? Like, what the... <laughs> is this like i just I, I hate that stuff where i just feel like they've had to just pad it for the sake of it like just try and make you play longer so that you justifies the the price or whatever it is and um, because we are stretching a game out to be three four five times the length that it was before and it was already a big game anyway and then um, so it reminded me of those bits like there's that bit at the end of remake and it's not a plot spoiler but there's that bit where you're it's in like chapter 14 or something of of 16 you're about to go along a walkway and then it falls away and you have to do a whole thing with like hojo and <laughs> the lab and everything else mm. and uh, and i was like oh my god we just don't need this and the thing that i that i tweeted about um for the nibelheim incident was i hated that they added um ostensibly quick time events to the nibelheim sequence um like i didn't like the how slow cloud was walking oh, through god. that bit like I it was it was the any game where it's like yeah this is essentially a cutscene, but just push forward to get through the cutscene. it's like this is this is not gameplay and it's not a cutscene. No. it's some sort of weird in between that i don't like it's from like a, a um, I was going to say a generation, but like a, a certain time of AAA games when it was like that weird line between cinematics and we were experimenting with quick time events and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just I just feel like slow walk sequences are one of the most ancient things you can do yeah. at this point. And so yeah, the slow walk sequence where he's just taking forever to get anywhere. Um, it's not on rails yet, but it's very very slow. Then you're about to walk up to Sephiroth, something falls in front of you. It's like oh my god, let me Go walk slowly right. around. Yeah. I hate that. And then you finally get to the Sephiroth sequence, and it's a slow crawl. Hold the shoulder buttons to crawl, and I was like. This just feels like it's 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 almost like if you gave the original Final Fantasy VII just like an, an arbitrary Western devs approach to that sequence um, from like 2012 or something, and it's or like 2012, and it's like let's just sort of you know quick time event this to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of I thought they killed the pace and like, but then like I'm too much of an asshole with the the nitpicky stuff because well, then I, like, I, yeah, I've got another one as well. I think you mm. agree with this in the sense that I I agree with you when you were like this is the perfect way to do a demo arguably mm. this is the perfect way to start rebirth since it's the be- beginning of the game once you get the full game you can just carry on from the end of the demo mm-hmm. if you played it mm-hmm. so that makes sense and it, it wants to reintroduce you to how the game works then basically your options are 
I guess just don't give me Sephiroth to play with rather than do what mm. you did. He should mm. either be cleaving through enemies in one hit or I shouldn't be able to use him at all. Like yes. they, they kind of tried to balance it because you were still like, remember how to play the game, here's a tutorial, and now also you get to do it as Sephiroth. He's, he is obviously way more powerful, but he wasn't at the crazy level that he should have been. It was just like, That's oh. the thing. I felt that in Remake, like the way that they're treating Sephiroth in this, like in the original, you had the calm flashback. And then at that point, you as Cloud have been doing like 10 points of damage, 15 points of damage, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Sephiroth comes in, there's a dragon in the way. It's all trapped like a horror sequence. The reveal is that it's a dragon mm-hmm. in the way. And Sephiroth does like a 5,000 point cleave and just kills the thing. And it's like, <laughs> it's just phenomenal. Yeah. And you're just having to like watch this guy like, oh my God, like how the hell do I lead Game up to this guy? as storytelling. Yeah, and it's perfect, and it's so medium-specific. Mm. And then in this one, it's like, you're going to control him, but he's still taking, like, you know, if you get hit from an enemy from the side, he, like, reacts to it and stuff. And it's yeah. like, no, what the hell? Like, you shouldn't, you should auto-dodge or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know, it was just that that stuff I didn't like, and then it got to the Nibbleheim sequence itself, like, the burning and everything. And um, that's what I meant about being nitpicky was, like, that bit where um, we know that the, the him standing in the flames scene is coming. Mm-hmm. And then, to me, they shoot a side shot where he's, like, standing just in front of Cloud, and then it cuts to the bit where he's in the flames and just my brain was like well he's not far enough forward to be in all the flames like they're they're too far away <laughs> yeah. yeah so i was just I, it's just all that stuff around i am too close to the original i was like this when the last of us tv show came out where i'm just too close <laughs> i love the original too much i'm that person that it used to be the the paradigm or whatever where like a book got adapted and the person yeah. who read the original text is picking out everything that was different and i just i'm just too close to it i love the original too much um and it's 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 arguably just not for me this this remake trilogy yeah. even though i am gonna i mean you know play through to it. give it to sing it's praises the positives are i felt like the tone was spot on like they got the sort of mm. pseudo horror part of that game mm-hmm. pretty much down pat and the music there were multiple moments where i just stopped and oh the music so good the music for a while because yeah it's great so yeah i was like refresh like most of 2020 i was refreshing spotify googling trying to find out because the release date <laughs> yeah. for the soundtrack didn't come out straight away and uh, i hope they're a bit more on it this time although they had they said they've developed like was it 600 or 400 more songs or oh, something goodness. okay so, <laughs> yeah, sure. i mean there's like seven versions of the bombing run in the remake and there's loads <laughs> of versions of the chocobo mm-hmm. theme but um yeah it's a hell of a ride to be on i'm kind of waiting to see how things feel at the end of the third installment like holistically what does it feel like to what does this trilogy feel like by the time we're done with it right um and that'll be kind of where i ultimately have a judgment or something sure. but it's just uh it's it's just rolled out in such a weird way and because they had the sephiroth fight at the end of remake and then we've got to go back and be like oh actually we need to chase them again and it's just a weird story but it seems to be going down really well like people are loving it and it's like it's interesting talking to people who don't know the story um mm-hmm. they're still lo- like josh is loving it and yeah, I mean, but, he has no yeah. frame of reference and it seems to be working way more than it's not um question from tarnished yas who says hello legends what are the worst slash best boss battles worst for me are when you're on a small platform and have to dodge constantly waiting for the boss to rest a limb <clears throat> excuse me then attack and repeat and the best are where you face a boss equal to you in size and skill like lady maria in bloodborne i thought this was interesting because we do loads of like boss battle lists and stuff but i don't think about boss battle types mm. like it started making me think about we have a resident evil question later but you know resident evil um early resident evils you've got tank controls you're kind of like fundamentally out uh, outmaneuvered by a boss and it's like let's rotate around them and stuff and like thinking about that i was like but there is something in overcoming that that's quite satisfying mm. but i don't know if you have like a favorite boss battle type that's hard i mean like the obvious answer is just anything where it's kind of um you know use everything that you've learned right prove yeah. that you've actually taken this in combine all these um disparate elements together mm-hmm. 
and overcome a challenge that makes mm. the most sense the worst is easy <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and i've made this comment before but you know anything that basically just relies on me waiting around for the opportunity to parry to win right like yeah. let me actually get in there and make some decisions instead of just circling an enemy and then mm-hmm. having to block and parry does does nothing for me but you know yeah, I would back that. I think that you said the one you said about you know a boss that makes you use everything you've learned to that point. That reminded me about the final boss in Metroid Dread, or um, Prince of Persia yes, was an immaculate version yeah. of that. Um, you know where you're like I like a good sort of two D boss fight where it's it's pixel specific, like you're mm-hmm. really dodging through those gaps and memorizing stuff, and then being able to get in that zone and like trade blows, parry like in the middle of that fight. Um, I think for me, like it, it, I like a good one on one, but not in the Soulsian way. Like I get a bit sick of the one on one. To me, that's Punch Out, which is great fun. <laughs> But like to me, it's like um, it's the Devil May Cry stuff. It's DMC 3's Virgil fights, and then it's also the Virgil fight in DMC Five at the very end, where like it's just you are fighting each other tooth and nail, but it's it's acrobatic and you're dodging and flying around, and you maybe you like part for a while, you go into a charge attack, something like that, mm-hmm. um, something a bit more kinetic than just yeah, like a Soulsian sure. thing. Um, but yeah, I think uh, boss battles at this point, I feel like they died off for a few years, and then it was like that idea of like the art of the boss battle kind of went away, and then Souls got mm-hmm. so big and Elden Ring and everything else that like now Big they're time. back yeah. and it's like yeah, it's uh it feels good question from the most lovey dovey gunner who says is <laughs> nintendo about to righteously dunk on sony slash microsoft with xbox seemingly lost in its current state and playstation not releasing a major game for a whole year i feel like nintendo has the easiest slam dunk of all time if they show up with a new console i'm so curious about this <laughs> because the switch is obviously massive i think literally yesterday the news just came out that it's the best selling console of all time in japan now Right, okay. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Um, don't quote me on that. But the point <laughs> is, it's huge, and everybody's got one. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Less so what we, as the sort of hardcore audience, react to it, but what it does mm. for the casual sort of audience. Are people just mm-hmm. going to go? Do people care about a more powerful Switch? Are they happy with what they've got, casual wise? Mm-hmm. Um, is that going to be enough of a difference for when Nintendo go? It's a Switch, but it's way more powerful. Obviously, it's also down to what the launch titles are going to be like. If yeah. they've got, um, if they're going to just cut the generation off here and be like, "Here are the exclusives you have to get the Switch to or mm-hmm. whatever." Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. They've I got think... a massive opportunity here, but it depends on how people react to it. Yeah, looking at the um, like Sony's financial like conference thing the other day, where they don't have anything, they arguably don't have anything until the end of March thirty first, twenty twenty five. It was like the next financial year is pretty much empty. But then you had some insiders like Jeff Grobe saying, like, "Well, they apparently have a new Astro Bot game they've got coming out." But they didn't, <laughs> they, which, which I love, I'm there for that. That game that is the best PS five game. But um, <laughs> but they were saying they don't have any major releases, so it is quite an empty slate. And then Xbox is they're just a whole other thing at this point. They're like the Amazon Prime of gaming, and that's fine. But um, yeah, I I'm curious what they do. For this there are leaks for um the new switch as well like it's meant to be fully backwards compatible it, it is meant to just be a, a, a gutsy because <laughs> that, that's apparently that's what they're offering is like um enhanced versions of existing games i think it's gonna yeah. be interesting whether they charge for them um but last year apparently the switch 2 was being shown off with an enhanced version of breath of the wild so mm-hmm. it seems like zelda is like something it was developed around which is cool um yeah like you i'm just curious what the system is i think for me like the more gutsy more guts something has that's handheld the more the battery dies in like an hour sure. or two hours like I have a Steam Deck, which I mostly just treat as an emulation machine, but that thing can't handle, you know, much in HD or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's, um, I'm, I'm using it for old stuff. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think 2024, um, it's it's going to be a weirdly quite empty year. I think a lot of um, 
like post-pandemic stuff has needed to be sorted for a while and then you're, you're seeing that with like all the layoffs at microsoft even sony let people go from insomniac like they're planning for the pro version of the ps5 things like that so um i'll take a, a souped up switch but i i want them to do right by the games that could show it off like give me a new star fox have metro prime 4 yeah like i don't need triple a from them necessarily if we're comparing it to xbox and sony but i just want something that's like because did you play metro prime remastered uh no i bought it i booted it and i was like right get back to you and it's just right, right. On my shelf unfortunately but still like the way that game looks like doesn't yeah. look like a switch game it looks next gen kind of thing it looks beautiful yeah, there's yeah, showing little sure. you know I like um metroid prime 4 it. feels like the obvious given which has been so silent on it that seems like a great opportunity to kick a new console off Mm. as i say for us sort of more hardcore gamers maybe and mm-hmm. i tweeted this the other day i think it's been six or seven years since mario odyssey now so uh 2017 yeah. so depending on when that was in the year um mm-hmm. yeah it's probably about time for a new 3d mario which seems like a logical system seller for a wider audience as well yeah well i think they delayed the the new switch like because the rumor of doing the doing of the rounds at the minute is that they were hanging back to see what the xbox podcast thing was going to be last oh, right. night mm-hmm. and apparently there's a direct that's like ready to yeah. go which we'll probably get next week and apparently the hardware reveal is either during that or straight after that um, so there is that so Exciting. maybe this time maybe this time next week we'll know mm-hmm. but um yeah that whole thing about them launching with zelda and mario i loved that as like the two pillars of the system like the the blue and the red like uh, link's tunic and then mario's uh, like iconic color kind of thing and then they ended they almost ended it with tears of the kingdom and mario won yeah. the last year yeah but then to me it was like you push push it back a whole year and that's the thing like right now um mario versus donkey kong is out but it's like it's a remake of a game boy advance game like whatever and um there's not that much it feels like they're sort of just waiting until they can a do the bit. next like it's, it's really cool that there's a new princess peach game definitely totally but that's, yeah, yeah. that is kind of indicative of sort of late console generation mm. like they've used a lot of their major ip at this point so they're just kind of like it's like yeah we got these spare parts you know while we're developing the next like we might as well whatever yeah so yeah i'm a, the princess peach game looks awesome but i That's really cool. thought it would be i thought it would play more like you know 3d kirby or like and um, mm. the old the jacket like jack 2 and jack 3 like the jack and daxter sequels where it's like almost isometric but you're running around shooting stuff i just love the version of peach that's in the mario and rabbits games give her a massive <laughs> shotgun and let her like be like you know just fully artillery peach like i love that version of her and like same with the one that's in the mario movie where she's like got martial arts and she kicks yeah. ass and everything and it's like i thought we were gonna get that like almost like a brawler version of a peach game <laughs> and uh, i think that there are like there are um martial arts costumes you can put on her right. in the new game um but still like yeah the fact that it's like a 2d runner um is fine but i thought it would be more crazy mm-hmm. than, than what they've shown um question from jack asbury who says is it nice to be pleasantly surprised by a game like helldivers 2 than have your worst fears confirmed also one for Sai. if i wanted to get into the resident evil series would i be better off playing the original games or the remix uh i mean let's do this in order the first one mm. yes i think obviously it's nice <laughs> good to, things are good. good things are good yeah basically is what that comes down to and uh shout out to ewan by the way i'm sure he's probably already kind of he, i he, told you so about hell divers but he really yeah, yeah, yeah he was telling us that this is going to be huge and i think it's actually uh outdone his expectations oh as yeah well which is which is great it looks awesome i'm very very tempted I know you oh, dude, yeah, it, so. you should you should play it. Like it's um yeah, in regards to the game itself, you was like the only person calling this game. I feel like all of us were like, nah, <laughs> no, it's a live service I, thing. I saw it and it was like, yeah, it looks kind of fun, as basically mm-hmm. as but but yeah, I don't think anybody was expecting it to be the game that everyone is talking about. 
No, like I saw like this morning, I was like, it, I think it had over, it was a 225 or 250,000 players on Steam. And it's like the number, thir- number 39th most played game on Steam ever or something. Wow. And uh, it's doing really well. I mean, I, like it, it's really cool on um, like to see a small team blow up so much. Like mm-hmm. Arrowhead haven't mm-hmm. had a game since 2015. Um, and it's it's been cool like how sort of, you know, community driven they've been. Like I, like, like I, I tagged the uh, CEO and the composer and people like that in a tweet. And thankfully they replied. It's yeah. like awesome to see that. And I think they're very aware of like how much they're blowing up. Like they've put a, um, a hiring call out so they can get more staff because nice. the CEO, um, yeah. I think it's Herman Palstad, was saying that like they've had sleepless nights. They're just trying to get the servers working. <laughs> like it's hard to make this thing stay up. So um, it's really cool when you see something like that. Like this uh, and Pal World have been like the two big That's success stories of the year. Really good news because one of the sort of early reviews or previews of Helldivers I saw um, expressed some concern about uh the depth of the content at launch and mm. the fact they hadn't announced um any roadmap or anything but the fact that they're hiring staff means that they mm. are reacting to this massive popularity hopefully um mm. they can continue that by putting out some updates and stuff in the future mm-hmm. the community side of it's awesome but i love that they have this like wider framework of like if you follow the official hell divers uh twitter they do like little mini news reports because everyone <laughs> is contributing to like the same war effort so like we all we all quote unquote collectively overthrew one of the planets that was filled with bugs like a couple of nights ago nice. and then right now earth is about to be attacked by the automatons so like you're encouraged to log on do your part try and repel the automatons and <laughs> um, there's a specific mission type that only triggers when it's when a planet is under attack um and that's what's active like as we're recording this like earth is under attack by the automatons and i'm like that's really fun like no no live service game as far as i know has has gone one-to-one with its story like that yeah um or it's or it's wider sort of framing like that um and it's a really cool thing it's like if they can keep that up whilst if they maintain the servers and everything else then um you know why not dive on and do your part for a bit and it's they like that's, that's a fun leaning thing really hard into the starship troopers thing with that oh god like, yeah as someone who watched that for the first time this week and it was great by the way oh really okay yeah that's a big part of the narrative of that film is like the news reports and all that kind of stuff so that's very mm-hmm. clever. Um, I haven't played that since I was like five. Sorry, I haven't watched that since I was like five. I watched that way too young and I need to go back to <laughs> I think it. I saw I bits was... of it on TV, you know. I don't think yeah. I've actually sat and watched it from front to back. And uh, <sighs> yeah, it's great. Holds up really well. <laughs> I was life-scarred by it. Uh, um, yeah, that Resident Evil question though. If someone was going to yeah. start out, originals or remakes? So I think the answer is probably the remakes. Just for the quality of life, the ease of mm. access, that kind of thing. What I would actually probably say is if you've never played a, or played very little Resident Evil games, maybe start with a 2002, we call it in the, in the Resident Evil community, we, call it, <laughs> we just call it Remake, as in capital E, R, capital yes. E, Remake. So the remake of the original game. Um, give that a go first, because I think that will inform sort of where you go from there, because it's fixed camera angle, tank controls, that kind of thing. The HD remaster, which is the version that's available everywhere, it's on Game Pass and whatever. It's, I think it's might be called Resident Evil Origins, maybe, or whatever. Okay. Um. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. It does have a different alternative control scheme to make it easier if you're not getting on with the uh, fixed. Is that the one where you can just, you can run in any any, any direction? Kind yeah, of I yeah. don't. It doesn't make sense to my brain because I played this game when it came out, obviously, so it's mm. weird to do that. But it makes sense to people that are not used to tank controls, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, give that a go first, and depending on how you get on with that, I think that might maybe inform your decision more because the original games, you know, they are classics. There's, a, I think, the narrative depth of those games is better. Um, mm. but mm-hmm. the remakes I mean they're just easier to play they're just more available and they are wonderful games in their own right I'm not going to say they're bad games at all no yeah but my, I think my like reference way... is originals but that comes from being a super nerd you know nostal- <laughs> and a lot of nostalgia um, yeah I, I think for us choice. like 
we grew up with these games. So I think for me, it's interesting when you think back on the whole series where it's like you've got three, to me, at least three different strands to Resident Evil. You've got like the isometric tank control stuff that's like super atmospheric and like really like, um, but the pace is so different because it's more puzzle based. You've got bits of combat, but for me, I would always get hold up on the puzzles. And then mm-hmm. you've got the over shoulder stuff, which is like RE4 onwards mm-hmm. and they remaster the originals to be like that. And then the first person stuff, which is like RE7 and RE8. So <clears throat> to me, it's almost like what kind of game do you like playing? Yeah. And then can you square that against what you should be playing if you want, if you want to know what resident evil is all about then it would be the tank control stuff and get get stuck into the old ones yeah for sure the thing is is like don't be immediately turned off the whole series by one experience when you, if you whatever no. you feel about for example the 2002 resident evil remake play resident evil 2 remake afterwards like that's mm. probably the most accessible game out of the lot in terms of the one that you're most likely to fall in love with mm. and potentially mm. sort of determine your opinion on the series at large um definitely try a couple of games because like you say there's so many different kinds of resident evil resident evil is so many things now at this point there's also like i love uh, revelations 2 like like a oh, co-op a version game. of yeah, Asymmetrical like it's like if you co-op, I love it. Yeah, and it's like they they have really good like level layouts where you're helping each other through puzzles and stuff. And it's like if you're um, looking to play it, like you know, have a first experience of Resident Evil with someone else, then um, I guess re- like you should do Resident Revelations one, but at the same time, two is yeah. like quite easy you, to just. They're not yeah, really into. connected, so it doesn't matter too mm-hmm. much really what order you play them in. There's not really anything that ties those games together other than this is the side story sort of yeah. series. They're not they're not really related. So, I like the um, the Soul movie style trapping of, Re- of Revelations too as well. Like you're ex- you're in that one facility, you've got that person watching you. Mm-hmm. Like that, um, yeah, it's sure. almost like a, a wider sort of framing for that. Um, question from Matthew McGowan, who says, "Who is the best NPC in gaming history, and why is it the Merchant from Resident <laughs> Evil 4? <laughs> He's up there. Do you know? Um, I have the reason we talked about Infinite Wealth at the beginning of this. The reason I haven't mm. been playing that much is because <laughs> we did the RE4 VR challenge thing on our yes. YouTube channel. If you haven't watched that it's a great laugh please go check it out yeah um i'd never i had dipped into vr a little bit with psvr before but it was the first time playing a quest um and then mm. immediately afterwards i just fell in love with the damn thing so i got home and bought one for myself so <laughs> I, i've been playing resident evil 4 vr and man that merchant he's a lot uglier than you think he is when you get out close <laughs> he's a creepy looking dude don't like him at can all. you like can you if when he opens his coat can you like lean in and be like oh i see what you've got yeah he's like, got like can a you, like... magnum there and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, okay <laughs> but it's terrifying because you'll like leave the when you talk to him it obviously goes to like an external menu and um, when mm. you come back he can be right up in your face it's terrifying <laughs> <laughs> he's up there him and ashley are up there as the scariest things in the game literally just because you can turn around and they're there in your face you're like, right oh, you know wasn't expecting that <laughs> screw the monsters it's just you know ashley terrifying enough mm-hmm. he's up there for me for for npcs that's a really tough question uh, and also resident thought... evil marvin branagh the the cop that dies at the beginning of resident evil 2 remake mm-hmm. specifically he's great in that I've got a, a controversial pick for the best NPC, which I, I remember as a kid, I loved this character. And as I got older, I realized that everybody hated them. But I love Daxter from Jack and Daxter. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sassy little boy. Yeah, yeah, like this sassy little weasel man. Like, I, I love that. And, like, he's always having a go at the sage, like, at the beginning. And, like, there's, I like all of his one-liners and everything. There's, a, there's one bit where you take a mission from, like, a, another NPC who's, um, like, crying about their squad being wiped out or something. And then Dax is, like, because um, they're talking about the enemies and how formidable they are. And Dax says something like, well, did you try attacking with your melodrama? Because it's killing me. And, like, young mm. me was loving that sass. I was all over it. So um, I'll go Daxter. But I think that, uh, but then as I grew up, I was like, oh, people hate Daxter and wished he would shut up and everything else. Which is is also fair enough <laughs> but um yeah in regards to the the re4 merchant it's got to be the original re4 merchant not the the remake one uh, you unless know. you've softened on it i, I was uh, always I'm a fan all right, of the original. i'm all right with both i like the sort of cockney twinged version 
That is fair. Question from Bam, who says, Good day. What's a game that you enjoyed at first but liked less and less on subsequent playthroughs? Wish you wonderful folks all the best. I've got another controversial pick for this. I, I left on. this question in. It's The Last of Us 2, Sai. It's The Last of Us okay. 2. Enjoyed my time through it, but ever, ever since finishing it, I, I keep trying to go back to it. I've been like, I should probably replay it. Like, it's this masterpiece thing. I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> played is... it once. Don't need it again. Yeah, I mean, that is actually on the long list of pro- games I probably should have played but haven't. And I started mm. it uh, at the sort of tail end of last year, and then they announced there was going to be the pay a 5 or 10 or whatever it is to get the upgrade for PS5. Mm. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll just put it on hold and see what happens. Turns out that upgrade's kind of pointless, as it seems. <laughs> yeah, um, so at some point, <clears throat> I will get back to it. So I don't really have, an, obviously, an opinion on that. I talked about mm-hmm. how I feel about The Last of Us. <laughs> not really it's just omnipresent anyway. at this point. Yeah. Um, There's, um, I will shout out as well, the um, the Grounded 2 documentary is really good. They finally patched mm-hmm. it into the game, but it's like a full-on two-hour behind-the-scenes documentary of how they made The Last of Us 2. Um, that's phenomenal. Great, yeah. And it's like, that's the thing where I'm at. I'm like, I can appreciate the franchise from a distance. Yeah. I just... For me, Last of Us is one one phenomenal game, and it was it was done. I didn't need you to answer the open ended questions mm-hmm. that gave us great talking points at the end of that game. Um, but that would be mine. It's just that thing of like getting through the game, loving my time with it. But I, as soon as I hit the credits, I was like, I don't think I don't think I needed that. And then it's just sitting with that for the last four years. It hasn't really shifted, um, even though I appreciate it and, and everything else. But um, yeah, do you have a game that you love like less since you've played through it again? I don't know. It's a really hard question. I don't. I try not to play the same game multiple times necessarily because like I said if I've got like a I should play this list but I haven't yet and it includes The Last of Us 2 I'm doing something wrong I should stop playing the same game and get through that list Um, Mm. so I don't actually know if I've got one you know I'm sure there is somewhere if I was in front of my entire collection I could probably root out something that I've played and Mm. then over time I look back on that experience and be like probably wasn't as good as I thought it was mm-hmm. I think yeah there's like it's rare that you would keep going though like if you end up going back through something and it's not hitting like yeah. it's like well why would I keep going yeah. with this um, but yeah it's, it's a hard question people can get in touch on uh, social media let us know which games were worse the second time you went through them um, Jack Jingle asks been reminiscing about game facts after going on recently to oh. look at something look something up about Golden Sun which they'd recommend how much effort did people put in for free content back then those text based images of cover art must have been a grind never mind the overall detail in the old guide versions not necessarily a question but I wanted to include this yeah I remember the, the age of game facts oh yeah and just like shout out to all the heroes that would put like entirely text based versions of entire game guides together um, what you wrote like 2006 2005 maybe yeah maybe that? even earlier than that yeah for sure but um, that was yeah for me like I don't know if you remember IMDB's forums as well but like they got rid of them after a while but uh, just early online culture of like trying to find forums, trying to find discussion stuff. Um, I just wanted to include that. You have game facts memories as well. Yeah, absolutely I do. There's something <laughs> like, you know, obviously now if you get stuck in a game, you literally just can YouTube it. But there's, mm. Which is really handy, obviously. But there's something different between I'm watching someone play it successfully and now I'm going to emulate that mm-hmm. compared to someone's written an entire guide. And if you're growing up, you find that guide and you're like, this person's clearly an expert. They, otherwise, yeah. why wouldn't? Why would they have written this guide? <laughs> they must be the master at this game because uh-huh. otherwise they wouldn't be able to write this guide. So I'm going to trust this. There was something deeper about that and something a bit more, 
I don't know. It's, more, it's obviously a bit more than just watching a bit of a YouTube clip and being like, mm. oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, like it was like, there's yeah. a whole art to it. Like yeah. a lot of people got jobs off of that stuff as well. Like when you got hired for websites, and mm-hmm. we, years ago, we attempted to do some more guide based coverage right at the beginning, 2013, 2014, uh, when I came on board. But hardly any of those things became, stayed as guides. They ended up just becoming like, well, if we're talking about this interesting part, then separate that out. Um, but guide writing is still a big thing, even though personally yeah. I would do what you do, I'd check YouTube instead. Um, but I've got a stupid funny thing for this. Like when um, guy, you used to get guidebooks with gaming magazines and um, I used to just read through them. Like I used to just read through the plot. Like <laughs> yeah. I finished the game yeah. and I'd read through it. Or like um, I, I remember like um, talking to, I think it was like a doctor, a GP at the time going like, well, are you, are you doing enough reading? Because you're playing a lot of games. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm doing enough reading. I've got the Resident Evil 2 guidebook <laughs> oh right here, gosh, mate. God. <laughs> You've literally. I don't need novels. I have almost exactly that same experience. Oh, really? Yeah, just, I was like, not, I was thinking, here I go again, talking about Resident (laughs) Evil. Like, come on, just find another subject. But yeah, same thing. I was so addicted to Resident Evil 2 that I remember printing off the guide. It was just like room name, do this in the room, and then go to room name, do this Mm -hmm. in that room. And I took that to school when I was reading it. I remember being like, (laughs) what? One of those things every now and then I was like, talk about what you're reading. It was just you and mm-hmm. the teacher. It wasn't in front of the class. Yeah, you yeah. have to read some of it to them. <laughs> and I wound up reading some of the Resident Evil 2. I was probably like 12 or something. Yeah. Not old enough to legally play the legally, quote unquote, play the yeah, game yeah. or whatever. So weird. Such a weird specific. <laughs> I wonder how many other people out there listening to this are now going, oh my God, I remember printing off and yeah, yeah. taking to school and stuff like that. Well, like print, for, for printing stuff off, that reminds you, like, printing off all the wrestler, um, creator wrestler codes oh, for, like, old yeah. SmackDown games. Making Ninja um, Turtles in SmackDown 2. Yeah, or, like, <laughs> making the roster members who weren't on the, the official yeah. release or whatever. But, um, yeah, that whole thing of uh, how much effort people used to put into those games, like, those um, guides and stuff before they became a bit more expected, I guess, like, before it became a feature yeah. of game sites and stuff. Um, shout out to all those people. If you, GameFAQs, I think, is still live. Yeah, but I yeah, imagine sure. a lot of those yeah. um, text ones will still be live. <laughs> Back then as well you would have to look for the because it had the data size the file size next to each one so i would always look for the one that was like yeah yeah like it's only like 190 kilobytes like it's nothing (laughs) but that was like the whole game (laughs) that's how you'd be able to weed it out yeah i love that and like just also since we're reminiscing just the era Mm. of that was like the era of fan sites where people would make whole websites dedicated to a series or you don't really get websites that people have made about just something they love anymore because social media is such a big part of the internet but before Mm -hmm. it used to be you know, here's my entire website about Metal Gear Solid. It's mm-hmm. here's the character profiles that I've written and hit the custom animations. Yeah, and exactly. Music that was to say, like yeah. little gifts and stuff that people have animated and just pages of that stuff. Like mm-hmm. really ugly, nasty, like GeoCities <laughs> and Angel Fire websites. But everything just, had sparkles on yeah, it. Yeah, but it was created with such uh, you know earnest feeling. We just don't get that, that anymore. Like, that reminds me of um, when people realized on MySpace you could code MySpace. And it was yeah. like, um, I used to have like a little mini pool game in there where you could, if you want my profile, you could play pool. And it's like, in a different reality, I feel like if uh, MySpace was my, was MySpace gaming from the beginning and you could put little mini games in there or whatever, maybe there's like a version of social media that would have just been for the gamers and all those kind of websites mm. would have been our profiles or something. But um, yeah, it's a good point. Like that, Like that level of fandom is just kind of... I don't know, like mushed into social media or, yeah, or a Reddit. Yeah, people just make pages on Facebook to like or whatever now, don't they? So you know, yeah, groups join. It's um, I've never I, Facebook's a weird one because I feel like that was everywhere, and then I feel like I disconnected from it, and then I keep every now and then like Josh will tell people are on Facebook again, and I'm just like, is that are we all returning to Facebook? And I'm not aware of this. Like, 
I refuse to go back. I like the end of Lost. But um, question from Eyeball Paul, who says, do you think if Jim Ryan had worn a couple of gaming t-shirts, he would be held in the same <laughs> held in the same esteem as Phil Spencer? Spencer's record number of redundancies and consistently subpar first-party game launches would normally be a cause for criticism, but for many, he remains the messiah. I um, This is a hell of a loaded question, but uh, I think it's initial a, thoughts. It's a charisma thing is what it comes down to, mm. isn't it? Like, there's just... It's just that's the difference maker. Jim Ryan's just very quite a dry individual, especially compared to <laughs> yeah, no, compared to Phil Spencer, who it might be a bit cringy, but he still feels a little bit like a college bro sometimes in his sports jackets and that kind of you know. So <laughs> I do understand why people. It's a weird. Um, thing inside of mm-hmm. us to be able to just like ah he's all right really i think the the thing is with the spencer stuff is like he was coming in after don matrick messed everything up There's like you had don well. matrick you know like ch- tried to change the very idea of what an xbox is which you can argue that's what they're doing right now mm-hmm. but like the matrick stuff went sideways spencer came in he talked like someone who played games and then he had the, he had the stats to prove it he's like here's my profile i play everything and um, people would share instances of meeting him in online games and stuff like that like it seemed like he actually cared which was the polar opposite of um don matrick yeah. and then he's only kind of gone from strength to strength at least in that regard since then and then if you compare him to ryan like you have jim ryan coming in after i think it was after sean Layden, yes. um, who was the guy that helped get crash bandicoot back together and like, like Layden was, it seems like, a pretty down-to-earth gamer guy who at least will talk to you about why games matter. Whereas Jim Ryan's earliest quotes were him slagging off the original Gran Turismo, saying, like, well, who would want to play that today? And I know he said that he meant it wouldn't release today. Yeah. But still, there's ways to approach that. And so, like, it was quite easy to sort of diametrically oppose them. And I think, like, Spencer always came out as, like, what someone who knows what they're talking about and plays a lot of games might do if they were given the power to run a company, um, as opposed to Jim Ryan being a very cold stats guy. Um, and a very specific and you're also like we're comparing like a like a two or three year tenure to like 10 years yeah um, and it was it was very easy for Jim Ryan to come across cold and he didn't really seem to have many um, redeemable aspects like a lot of his conferences were just pretty flat pretty boring there Sony's era under Ryan was just so unmemorable mm-hmm. like there's not any big E3 reveals there's not any big sort of hey we're bringing this character back like he just didn't care because he didn't need to. Just, they can just sit back and he make all wasn't the money. engaged with that kind of stuff. Absolutely right. Mm. Like he wasn't at the forefront of like we're doing this cool thing, generally <laughs> speaking. And like so, there was no. And you just said about like first impressions almost out there. Phil mm. Spencer comes in, he's like, "I'm a gamer and all this," and look at me, I'm smiling, I'm warm. Where Jim Ryan comes out and says, "Ow, games are bad or whatever." You know, like, <laughs> it's not a great first impression. But he just didn't. Yeah, it seemed like he didn't care about trying to win that favor back at all. Mm. He was just a business guy, whereas Phil Spencer, yeah, was the opposite completely. Mm-hmm. Or at least I do think presented well, as the opposite, I guess. Yeah, totally. Like, it, it's interesting as well looking at, like, you know, there, there's obviously a reality to Phil Spencer that needs to, to tick all the boxes of being sure. an executive. And, like, you can see it in that Xbox podcast. Like, they've, I assume they would have rehearsed that whole thing quite a lot. But, like, when he gets asked a question, he's like, oh, good question. Let me talk about that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you get that sort of PR way that people come across. Um, I would recommend to people um, on Giant Bomb, it would have been about 10 ish years ago maybe eight years ago um phil spencer sat down with jeff gersman and did a really good just just sitting on the couch talking about the state of xbox interview um where you get a really good feel for what he's like when he's more relaxed um Mm -hmm. and he knows his stuff but it's like at a certain level of um like executive boardroom stuff that is just how they talk and i think that um it's interesting watching him have to deal with that over the years and get bigger and bigger and bigger and now he's like the head of microsoft gaming and everything um and he needs to hold himself in a certain way um but yeah i think that it's as a direct comparison it was like phil spencer just seems like he knows what he's talking about a bit more than ryan and it wasn't just naked yeah. money moves yeah which um 
you know, like the live service Sony stuff is all, that's all Jim Ryan. And we're still sort of dealing with that, even though I love Helldivers too. So um, we'll see how things go. Um, question from Ben Petit, who says, which game had the biggest impact on you, even if it's not necessarily the best? Mine is Final Fantasy 15, as it oozed nostalgia and refreshed my love for the series and its music. Since then, I've been into, I've been to four Final Fantasy themed concerts nice. and replaced, replayed all my Final Fantasy childhood favorites. Mine's, uh, yeah, probably Rock Band 2. <laughs> nice! What a maybe, pick! Or maybe specifically Rock Band 1, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, which seems like a... It does feel like a weird one. But mm-hmm. uh, it has an impact on me that's wider than sort of gaming tastes. Like, it did absolutely kind of confirm to me that I'm into rhythm games and stuff. Which is why mm. I think two, three weeks ago on this very show, I was talking about Clone Hero. And now yes. that I've got a VR headset, I've been playing Beat Saber all week. Shock. Um, but rock band for me like it just came at the right time um just post school college um some of my friends were getting full-time work some of them were going away Mm. it was something that kind Mm. of kept us all together um Mm. and every house party there was rock band um just like it was just this thing that just rolled on for a couple years and i cared about it deeply in different ways like i cared about i'm getting 100 percent and all this stuff but also just like yeah as a thing that kept us together and friends and something social for us to do it had a big impact mm-hmm. as well and also before that point i hadn't really sung in front of people and then like the first day we had rock band i was just like the microphone was thrusted at me and i was like oh no okay and then that just <laughs> became my role and it's like it's something that i just enjoy doing for fun yeah, um, definitely. So, like, yeah, rock bands are a big part of that as well. So when people always talk about, you know, top five, top three games, I kind of have to go, yeah, Rock Band 2 is in there, which is a, maybe a little bit weird, but, like, it has. No, it's, I... it's, it's because of that impact. Yeah, mine's honestly the exact same. House parties, same time period everyone's leaving. Some people are moving to different mm-hmm. places, but we get back together for rock band nights, um, order takeaways and play rock band. Like, yep. that was such a time. Like, I know that obviously it, it bloated too much and it was like, it's, you can pinpoint when it died. It was when Band Hero came out and then we suddenly had way too many of the same type of game. Yes. But Rock Band 2 was like the apex, like going into um, 3 and then Guitar Hero tried to do their thing and whatever. But like, in terms of an impact, like that stuff reminded me uh, or reinforced that I can I could actually learn an instrument that I would like mm. I'm putting so much time into the plastic instruments I'm just going to start playing properly um, and that started around about Guitar Hero 2 but it was definitely like alongside the other ones and then doing learning drums with rock I guess you do learn timing you learn proper mm-hmm. skills yeah. um, and hand-eye coordination and everything through that so yeah I can only echo that uh, so much my um, my mind went to um, Celeste because I, t- I took this question mm. as like a like a, um, a personal revelation thing or something, even though I get the, I actually echo the Final Fantasy stuff from last year because I played so many of them as well. But Celeste, like that game's depiction of um, sort of depression, anxiety, learning to live with those feelings or understand them and treating them as like another, almost another person to kind of, if you could talk to those feelings, mm. what would they sound like? Um, and, and trying to um, become one overall and the strength that comes from understanding. That game fundamentally helped me understand someone who is a very, very close family member who was going through things at the time. And uh, it just it just helped. It was just a framing device. And um, yeah, I can. I sh- Celeste is a beautiful game. Yeah, like if awesome. people haven't played it, that game's awesome. But um, its underlying sort of thematics and its messaging is like unbelievably helpful in regards to just um, certain conditions, certain um, ways of getting through the day, mental health depictions, mm-hmm. etc. Um, so I would go with that. Um, a final question from Paul McSoul who says, hello UBP, I've been watching too many ancient aliens lately and I was wondering what is your favourite depiction of alien life in gaming? Is it Mass Effect, Halo, XCOM? Also, are we alone in the universe? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> this is this is a pivot that only the UBP can pull yeah, off. Absolutely, right. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so in regards to the last one. Statistically no. speaking, I, I am oh, do you think there's something I'm a believer. There? Yeah, I'm a believer. Nice. I'm a, I, okay. I'd like to be open-minded about all of that in general. Mm-hmm. Is this an appropriate place to have a weird side tangent about yes. the paranormal? I am. <laughs> Hopefully, we will enjoy this story. So, uh, I had a knock on my door yesterday, um, and I opened the door to this rather tiny Chinese woman uh, who right. I was like, okay, um, and she was like, oh, I'm moving in next door. Place has been empty for a couple of months. Um, she was asking a question about where did she parks, where her parking spot in the area is, blah blah blah, just sort of that mm. kind of thing. It was nice to meet her and stuff. And then, just randomly out of nowhere, she goes, "Have you had any issues with spirits?" <laughs> Because Ooh, okay. my house is literally there's a green in front of my house and then over a fence is a cemetery, and right, I, at first okay. I was like, "What?" And then she pointed in that direction. I was like, "Oh!" And I was and she was really embarrassed to say, "I'm afraid of ghosts." I'm, I didn't realize <laughs> that was here when I was looking at the place originally. I'm kind yeah. of terrified to move into this house. I've not had any experiences like that really in my life at all. But you know, I no. said to her, "You don't have to be embarrassed about that." I'm. I would love to have that experience. <laughs> I would love to have that. So, but no, unfortunately, or fortunately for you, no spirits. Mm. Um, what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. Well, oh, the question was just yes, alone, <laughs> being alone in the universe. Halo for me, but I think they said Halo. Halo is a great mm-hmm. example, and also because it's such a when you get deep into sort of the alien um society within halo the covenant like all these different groups that come together and they're all basically Mm. just told they're all buying a lie essentially they're all Mm. in it for this holy prophecy this holy war they want to get hold of the halos because it's gonna lead them to prosperity and it's all a big jip really Um, (laughs) so i think that's very applicable to humanity right now as well with a lot of of information so that's Mm -hmm. really hitting home at the moment but uh i love halo's sort of different structure of all the different alien societies how they've all discovered each other and interlocked and yeah no, same. I think like some of the best sci-fi is is all like I love philosophy. I love why do we think the way we do, etc. And like some of the best sci-fi will frame that, you know, in ways that like regular uh, fiction can't or whatever. Um, I think for me, I'll go. I like a nice variety of aliens. I would have said Mass Effects because I do love mm. um like all the the parallels to our own like you know, the Quarians are like a nice depiction of like Eastern religion or whatever. And it's like they're really good. But I think as a variety of aliens, I probably would go XCOM because um, mm. you do have like the the big brutes and like some of the more um I feel what you call the ones. That that have like the the little pincers um but you have such a variety of like the aliens overall so for me if we're gonna go like what do i want from alien designs it's something that shouldn't look uh from like from this earth i yeah, want it to be sure. like some weird design mm. and not just uh be bipedal like the most of the mass effect races are um as opposed to being alone in the universe i <laughs> i'll go with my I, this is such a boring answer but i'm like no because in regards to like the probability of some sort of like even amoebic life form being out yeah. there I can commit to that, but I don't think it's ever going to be something like what Paul looked like in that Simon Pegnick Frost <laughs> movie. Or, you know, like, like we've taken the idea of aliens and made all these crazy the ships and they can fly and they can yeah, do when, they, when we make contact, they're going to be really upset with us. They're like, this is what you were expecting. Come on, guys. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, for me, it's like, I don't doubt that there's, I think they're already like, quote unquote, life confirmed on like Mars. But it's like, we're talking about a, a cellular 
Like it's going to look like a half-made pancake at the most. <laughs> like you know, that's what I can commit to in terms nice of saying something reference. else. Is it, Shrove, it was Shrove Tuesday this week. It was a great week. It was a great. <laughs> I've been eating aliens all week long, but um, I still think that yeah, I can I can go that far with it. But it's like it depends what people think is like, if there's a whole civilization out there kind of thing. Like um, I like the idea of um, on a big enough um, you know space like infinite space, something else like us is out there, mm-hmm. and uh, and I like the movie. I think it's called Another Earth. Um, where um, I can't think of who's in it, but it's from a few years ago. Where they look up and they see another Earth, and it's hmm. uh, it's on a trajectory with our Earth, and it's what what our civilization does, realizing there's going to be a contact, and then who's actually on that Earth and whatever. And um, that's a cool a cool movie. But um, yeah, I guess we're not alone. But even if we're surrounded by a, a galaxy of pancakes, at least they're <laughs> they're working towards something. <laughs> they're getting there. But um, speaking of getting there, this has been the Untitled Panther Podcast, the UBP, the UBP, the, the, the UBP. UBP. Ivan Scott Taylor, that's been Cy White. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining awkward, in. Isn't it? <laughs> ah, you got to find some way to end the thing. But thank you to everybody for sending in your various questions. You can find a question over, it'll probably be next Thursday on the Twitter, uh, asking people whatever they'd like us to submit for next week. But thank you all very much for listening, and we'll catch you soon. Goodbye. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.